taking the metaphor of a teaching hospital, thank you for letting me do some surgery on you today. Um, <laughs> taking it even further, if I were to do anything today, I would hope that I would reach your heart, and if I'm going to be doing surgery, it's to show what kind of cancer or what kind of illness is happening in your life, pulling it out, and instead giving you Jesus. So that is what we're going to be trying to do here today. Uh, we're going to be taking a closer look at the book of John and specifically some of the ministry that he, Jesus starts off. Um, we have ushers in the back who have Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are giving these away. If you don't have a Bible at all, please take them home. It's a gift. Um, in this way, you can, you can join us and read as where we will be reading we're in the book, we're in chapter one of John, towards the, the latter half of it. And in this section, you see something starting to happen. It is Jesus making disciples, something that is going to be throughout his ministry is learning how to make disciples. And, and towards the end of the book, you see that the whole purpose is to make more disciples. And so there are two things, it may come up on the screen at some point, there are two things that I want us to look at as we look through this text. Jesus is who you've been looking for. Jesus is who you've been looking for. And Jesus calls us to be his disciples. And as we follow him, we bring others to him. Um, please join me in prayer as we get started. Father, thank you for bringing us here and letting us come together to listen to your word. Lord, I ask that this word and the truth of this word open our hearts and that it begins to transform us. Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit speak through my words and that there are things that can be convicted in each of us as we listen to what the scripture says. Lord, I also ask that um, you show us and point out to us where we look for joy or hope or salvation that is outside of you, and you point that to us, and you convict us of that, and that you help us turn to you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the book of John. Uh, we've already had a few sermons about the book of John, it's just chapter 1, first, first 30 verses, so there's, there's a lot that I could try and review, and I'm trying to think, do I really have time to condense Jonathan's two sermons about John 1 into 10 minutes? Probably not, but if you'd like to listen to those, we do have, you can listen to them on the podcast or on our website, but here are some things you, you should know if you haven't been able to join us yet. This book is both simple and complex, shallow and deep. There are things that sound straightforward as you just simply read them, but if you take time to dig deep, look over, uh, take some layers off, you're going to find some, some really complex, some really profound theological statements. And that's going to bring you quite a bit of joy if you, if you sit with them. Maybe some conviction, but also quite a bit of joy. So this book has some really straightforward things and some really complex things. And I'll try 
my best to bring a little bit of both as I, as I go through the text. Thankfully, the, the, the writer, John, has already told me the purpose of this, of this book. He said, I, written, I wrote it so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So, if you can take anything from what I'm saying today, know that these words are to give you life. The starting of John, John 1, it says, the word, uh, in the beginning there was the word. There, there, John is starting to come up with the origin and describe who Jesus is, what he's done, where he's come from, and it, and it harkens back to Genesis, the idea of in the beginning, God. God was there and God created. Here in John, he says, in the beginning was the word. You may notice that there is, that's the title of Jesus to begin with, the word, but there's also a lot of different titles of Jesus being used, and they all bring it their own nuance and their own significance. The word meaning logos, or logos, meaning purpose and reason. In the beginning, there was a reason. God was the reason. Jesus was the reason. But there also is the idea that he is the light, not going to be consumed by darkness, that he brings life to us, that he is the Lamb of God, someone who is sacrificing and laying down his life for us, and he is the Son of God, meaning that he is deity, all-encompassing God. So that's where the book of John starts. Then, as you read through the book of John, you start to see that there is this interesting thing that happens as Jesus starts to interact with people, and it happens right at the beginning where Jesus kind of shatters people's expectations of who he is. And that's going to continue to happen, and I hope to bring that as well. Next you see that there is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus in everything that he was trying to do and in his ministry. Now, we do pick up with um, John the Baptist, and, and to give some context, I want to start in verse 29 of chapter 1. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, that is John the Baptist, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of, of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I, be, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So, John the Baptist already once has pointed people emphatically to Jesus. He lays it out pretty clearly. Hey, this, this is the guy. Pay attention. Well, the, the Bible has some... The Bible knows us fairly well. We, we need repetition a lot of times. We forget things. Um, 
I certainly know that I'm going to forget things that I've been practicing today over and over, but that's the way it goes. But starting on in verse 35, we're going to read some more. Guess what? People forgot. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him, about, with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. We're going to unpack that first section and take a closer look at it. The first uh, verses 35, 36, and 37. The John the Baptist had to repeat himself, didn't he? He had to point out again that the Lamb of God was here. That was the whole purpose of his ministry, was to point people to Jesus. But in the efforts of doing so, carrying out his ministry, two of his disciples left. Um, what would be his reaction to that? Maybe you've invested in something and it left or it didn't turn out. What would be your reaction to that? He was teaching and investing in these people. He was pouring his life into them, showing them the message of Jesus, and in some way, mission accomplished. They, he kind of worked himself out of a job a little bit. Pointing people to Jesus might cost you. And it may feel painful that a little bit, um, being that uh, there is Acts 29 church planting network. The idea eventually is that churches plant more churches, and that might mean that people that you've lived life with and have done church with may leave and plant another church, and that may be painful too. But there's something exciting to pay attention to that we'll see again in chapter 3, because John the Baptist, he gets to speak up again, and he says something. He says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and, but I must decrease. As, as John the Baptist was well aware of what his ministry was, it was to point people to Jesus. It wasn't to have his own following, but it was to point people to Jesus. He saw this in correct perspective. Nonetheless, pointing people to Jesus might cost you something. It might hurt. In, some, in other places it says you'll, you'll need to lose your life. Now, there's an interesting exchange between Jesus and some of the first disciples. 
they ask, they start by, Jesus notices them following him, and he says, what are you seeking? Um, And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Answering a question with a question, I don't know, I just don't always appreciate that. But they nonetheless were trying to get to the point of, I want to follow you. And so began their discipleship. They were willing to follow Jesus and and, and to learn from him. He said to them, come and you will see. And it was about the 10th hour. What happens next is after a night of spending time with Jesus, Andrew goes immediately to find his brother Simon, or Simon Peter. And then, knowing that Simon Peter needs to meet Jesus, he just says, you know, come and see, or come and look. Here's where I want to break down a little bit about this idea of rabbi, and disciple. Our context, our culture doesn't really have that. The closest we might think of is going to school, having a professor, something like that. You might be a teaching assistant. It is very different from what was happening in this time, in this context. The word rabbi, which already is translated for us, says means teacher, and it's also a word that you would say just out of respect or out of someone who has authority and you, you recognize their authority. So Jesus, being their rabbi and teacher, has a lot of authority, something that if, you, if he tells you to do something, you listen and you do it. Then the word disciple, which is what we're talking about today. You can translate that as learner, pupil, um, adhering to what the teacher is doing, um, I think some ways it is similar to this a context, uh, con- um, concept of an apprentice, though it is way more uh, personal rather than apprentice. You are spending life, you are imitating, you are just trying to do what the rabbi, what the teacher does, and you follow them as closely as you can. So, first hard question of the morning. If you are the ultimate authority in your life, if you make your decisions without talking with people, if you think you know what's best for you, if you think, I don't need to listen to other people's advice, I know what's best, then you might be your own teacher. And certainly Jesus isn't your teacher, and you may not be his disciple, or at least a really, really bad one. Something to consider and chew on today. Did you guys notice that the author, John, could recall what time it was when he met Jesus? The 10th hour? Um, Typically, people would say that means it was in the afternoon, getting close to dark, evening time. And so they spent the whole evening with Jesus. Now, we don't know what they talked about, but it really does seem like discipleship started to happen immediately because what's the next thing that happens? Verse 41. We have found the Messiah. He goes and shares this good news. Um, Andrew was not willing to sit on it. There was joy in the fact that he found Jesus and that he began to be discipled by Jesus. Now, the idea of found has um, other, you can see it has other contexts in the Bible. The, the two things that I was studying about is 
there is this parable of a person who finds treasure in a field with, because of the excitement and the joy and discovery of that treasure, sells everything to purchase that land where the treasure was. And there's also the, the parable of Jesus being a shepherd. And there's 99 sheep, but one is lost. And he goes and he finds that other one and celebrates that discovery and location of that lost sheep. There is quite a bit of joy when there is some sort of discovery or the idea that you found something. Now, I was trying my best to come up with where I've seen this because it's a little tricky. They, the disciples talk about, we found him, we found him. But later on in the book of John, you see that there's also this concept of Jesus calling you. you he was called, he called you. And in John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. So here we have these two concepts. Some people may feel like they're competing, but the way that I try to picture it is um, a good old game of hide-and-seek. Have you ever played hide-and-seek with a three-year-old? It is hilarious because they love the game, and they tell you, I'm going to go hide here, and then you're going to go find me. And... And it doesn't matter if they it doesn't matter if they told you where they were hiding, because as soon as you find them, they are still excited. They are still excited. And so there it, there's this combination of being found and being called where there is immense joy. Um, I'll confess that as I was studying this, the idea of joy kind of grappled me and uh, hit me a little bit because I typically don't walk, walk around with a big smile on my face. I just don't typically do that. But as I was re- reading some of this, and as I was starting to see some of the complexity and pull back the layers of, of this passage, I was beginning to smile a little bit more and just carrying around a little bit more joy because I started to see who Jesus really was and all that he is. And that's really hard to do. It's really hard to be that joyful when you're not submerging, submerging yourself and dedicating yourself to what Scripture says or being around people who point you back to what Scripture says. So let me ask you this. Where do you try to get your joy? Take a, take a minute to think about it. Catalog, think through what have been the things that you thought, if only I could do this, if only I could get to this point, Was it a promotion? Was it a certain relationship? Do you find your joy in your kids, your achievements, your education? How's that going for you? I think most of us have probably accomplished some of the things that we've wanted to, maybe not all of them, but did it really bring you the joy that you thought it would? Where does our culture point out? Where does our culture say we get joy from? Has that ever worked out? It looks like we always seem to be pursuing other joy as we continue on, looking for more things. Last comment on this section was the idea that Andrew had to bring his brother and brought him to Jesus. 
there's this concept that we see later on in, the, in other verses too, but bringing people to Jesus is, is what is going to help and what brings them joy. Not trying to convince them who Jesus is, but bringing them to Jesus. So think about the relationships you have either in this church or in other, people, in other places. And what do they bring you to? Do they bring you to Jesus? Or do they bring you to something else? Maybe another way of saying it is, who brought you here? Did you get connected with someone here? And they brought you here? Very few people say that uh, Google Maps brought them here, I'll have to say. Because we, we ask this question when we do membership meeting. Um, I didn't use Google Maps, um, but we, uh, we lived across the street from Connection. So literally, it was just out our window that we saw Connection. And that was, that was good enough for us. Um, actually, we'll get to it. I'm, 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 I'll reference that a little bit later. There's something to say that since we are relational beings coming from a relational God, the way that discipleship happens is, is through people, bringing people and showing people who Jesus is. And though he's not physically present, Jesus, in John 13, he commands us to love one another because, by all, of, because all people will know that you are my disciples. Loving one another and being in a discipleship context is going to prove to people who Jesus is. So let's take a look at what happened next. We're going to read verses 43 and stop at 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. That's, that's kind of where I was going with it. I feel like a little bit of Philip there where I just opened my window and Connection Church banner is right outside my window. Just kind of boop, happened. Um, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So I've already pointed out this idea of the excitement of finding something or discovering of it, and that should propel you into sharing it with other people. And then there's this come and see idea again. But here we get to take a little closer look at Nathaniel's response. I love the skepticism. I, I can appreciate it. Now, there's some context for, for why maybe Nathaniel responded that way. Nathaniel, being an Israelite or a Jew, he was always probably studying the Scripture. He always was looking in the Scripture because there's this belief that they will find the person who's going to rescue them, who's going to establish a new kingdom, a savior, someone who is going to be king of Israel and restore the people of Israel. And many Jewish people were studying scripture to look for that person. So, Nathaniel, the response, he may be asking that question about if can anything good come out of Nazareth because Nazareth really isn't mentioned in the Old Testament or in, or in the, the Torah um, the Jewish Bible. So maybe he was just like, 
I've been studying the scripture. I don't see anything good coming out of there. There's also a, a context that he was from a, a local rival, rivalry village or town, so he just might have a little bit of a prejudice towards that. Um, so you can imagine how we do that in the Midwest. We're like, well, can anything good come out of North Dakota or Iowa? <laughs> Sorry if I offend. Um, I'm from Minnesota, which I, I used to say was the best, but I don't anymore. Um, the, Minnesota and their pride, I'll tell you. So there could have been that context as well. But here's where we get to unpack some of the complexity. Though Jesus was raised in Nazareth, that's where his family was from, he was born in Bethlehem. And 700 years before he was born, there was a prophet by the name of Micah. And Micah talks about Bethlehem and says, From you, Bethlehem, shall come forth for me one who is to be the be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. There are so many places that we can find the Bible pointing to Jesus, and this is just one of them. Nathaniel must not have rec recognized where Jesus was born. I don't think they were, you know, they didn't know each other at this point. He just knew he was from Nazareth. But let me take a look at Nathaniel's skepticism for a second. We can all relate to skepticism or doubt. We all have that to some extent. And there might be some of you who would not consider Jesus to be your savior or that you have doubts about who he is or what, what this is even all about. And so, yeah, I'm glad you're here to hear some of this. And as I've already pointed to, there isn't some formula to persuade people that they need to, to be, uh, believe who Jesus is. They need to come and see for themselves. And that happens in discipleship. Come and see. And for those who maybe do call themselves Christians, there's also skepticism and doubt there. Nathaniel is the first disciple with doubts or with, with uh concerns, but he's not the last one. And for those lifelong Christians here, your skepticism might not be vocal, but it may be more in your actions or where your heart is. You may have gone to several hundred Bible studies in your lifetime, and you may know everything, and you may still have not seen some of the joy of who Jesus is. That's because Bible study isn't directly equaling discipleship. They're not the same thing. Nathaniel, he was well studied in the scriptures. He was, he was looking for the Messiah, yet he, it wasn't until discipleship where he uh, really started to see who Jesus was. So, Nathaniel agreeing because his friend uh, Philip was persuading him to come see Jesus, decided to go and check him out. And Jesus, picking up in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. 
and you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. A few things to look at. Philip had a huge claim when he started talking to Nathaniel. He said to Nathaniel that we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. That is a huge claim. Now, here you could find again, if you start to dig into it, Deuteronomy 18. It says about you know, Moses and, and the prophet were talking, I will raise up for them, them being the people of Israel, a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now that's one piece of it, and I thought, oh, that's pretty neat when I first was looking at this. And then I recognized something as I continue to read John this week. In John 12, Jesus says something. Pay attention to how this is similar to what was written in Deuteronomy. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me as himself, given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. A few more things. Verse 51, there is this powerful statement and this powerful picture of what it actually means for Jesus to be here. Truly, truly, I say to you all, or you, you all, it's plural, you will have seen heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Whenever you hear the repetition of something, you know it's important. I've already said that. Truly, truly is another way of emphasizing Jesus' authority in his statement. So he will make those statements throughout the book of John, and it's something to pay attention to as he says, truly, truly. Now what's interesting is Jesus' choice of words and what he thinks will be even greater than his ability to see Nathaniel under a fig tree. He sees something different that will be even greater. The idea of angels of God ascending and descending, that's not something he just thought of. It was something referenced back in Genesis 28 where the man of Jacob was pursuing what it would be like to follow and serve God, and he had a vision. And in the vision, there was a ladder. And then on the ladder, angels were again ascending and descending. And after Jacob having this vision, was excited, was enthralled with this idea that this place where he had this vision will be a place where people encounter God. And... Jesus says something different. The Son of Man is where angels of God are ascending and descending. 
Jesus is the one who is going to be able to do that, where there's a connection and a new relationship between heaven and earth with God. So it's not a temple. It's not a place like Jacob experienced, but it's actually with, through Jesus on the Son of Man. That is big. That is significant. It's nothing you can do. It's nothing that you can accomplish. You're never going to please God the way you want to. It's only through Jesus that's going to actually bring you into a relationship with God. And, God has, and Jesus has come to res- restore us and rescue us for that reason, to have a relationship with God. This idea of Jesus bridging the gap has already been communicated to us in the book of John in verse 12 of the first chapter. But all, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Son of Man is this concept that Jesus, uh, this phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself. Um, there's all these titles of different titles you'll see in the book of John, but this is the one that Jesus used the most. So he uses this um, quite a bit, and it has a lot of significance. There is first the idea that being all human, it would make sense that he's the Son of Man. There's that, that literal idea of, okay, he's a human, Son of Man, that makes sense. But this isn't the first time that idea is even, that phrase is even used in the Bible. In Daniel 7, there's another vision or prophecy of what is going to happen to the people of Israel and what kind of restoration there will be. And the Son of Man is then also used in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible that talks about a new kingdom coming and being from the Son of Man. So it is this idea of being human, but then there's also this description of Son of Man somehow being exalted, being heavenly, and carrying out different acts of service. So we worship the Son of Man and the Son of God, the same person. I want to wrap us up by by just recapping quickly some of the things that um, we see from these verses. Um, first, there's John the Baptist pointing people to Jesus. And that is a ministry we all have as Christians, pointing people to Jesus. Don't be surprised if people, if, if, that's, if that costs you somehow. Don't be surprised. Then there's Andrew pointing his brother to Jesus, going to his brother ex- with excitement and with joy about who he found we all have family members. We all have people who we, we live life with. There should be joy in how we experience discipleship that we'll, we can't help but share. Then there's Philip being directly called by Jesus. And maybe there are people here that have been directly called to learn about Jesus and you have those experiences. And that is amazing to see God directly intervene and call you out But what's more amazing is from that experience, Philip brings his skeptical friend and that he can bring someone else to Jesus. As I've tried to demonstrate, Scripture is pointing to Jesus in so many ways. There is so much complexity to look at and to unfold. 
The last is that Jesus leads by example in making disciples. Uh, and then he later commands us to, to also make disciples. In the other gospel of Matt, Matthew, I wrote Matt in my thing, but it's Matthew. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, as we look through this text, Jesus is who you've been looking for. There's a lot of things that we think are going to replace and give us the joy that only Jesus can. But Jesus is the one. Secondly, Jesus calls us to be his disciples and we follow him, bringing others to disciples. I've been a Christian for a while. I've been around the church and I've seen a great deal of support and and love from people in church as I've grown up. And it wasn't until recently that discipleship became more real to me and that that's what continuously, continues to point me back to Jesus. So, that, so why I share that and why I bring that up is because we can't expect this Sunday service, this time to be all the discipleship you need. The, the 12 disciples, they spent every living, waking moment with him, and they still seem to not get it sometimes. So there's more discipleship to be, to be done, and I am excited to be a part of a church that emphasizes that, and there's people that I'm discipling, and there's people who are discipling me, and, and there's great joy in the fact that they can point me back to who Jesus is. Please... Uh, Pray with me as we close. Father, thank you for the words and the truths that you have given to us. Thank you for thank you for the ministries and the, the experiences of where people point us to you and the joy that that brings us. Lord, I ask that um, this people here, that they receive the idea of whether they're skeptical or not, whether they're new Christians or, or not Christians or old Christians, that there is joy in the things that you offer, salvation and our true, right relationship with God. I ask that as as we close this time with worship, that our hearts reach out to you and ask that um, that you speak to us clearly. And I pray that these words I shared can reach to the heart in a way that only you can accomplish. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.